The Old Premeds Podcast, session number 151. You're a non-traditional student entering the medical field on your terms. You may have had some hiccups along the way, but now you're ready to change course and go back and serve others as a physician. This podcast is here to help answer your questions and help educate you on your non-traditional journey to becoming a physician. Well, thank you for taking some time to join me today. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I take questions directly from the old pre-meds form, the non-traditional pre-med form over at medicalschoolhq.net. If you don't already have an account over there, go sign up. It's free, it's easy, and you can join an amazing community of non-traditional students. Our question today is from a student who's looking at HPSP and the public health service and so much more. They say, hi, everyone. I am a non-trad with a couple years of experience as an assistive technology entrepreneur and hospital project manager. I started a post-bac pre-med program this year and am on track to take the MCAT and apply in 2020. I've been doing more research on medical schools trying to balance prereqs and work. Listening to Dr. Gray's podcast, I have learned a lot about how to prepare for medical school and after. This podcast has brought me both a lot of peace of mind as I listen to it on my commute to class and work. With that being said, there are a few areas I have specific questions. HPSP. I most recently learned about the military medicine program through the podcast, and I'm highly considering it. A few reasons this interests me. A, I would love to give back through the medical work that I do. One of my interests as a designer was low-cost prosthetics and other medical devices, B, different slash lack of insurance regulations. C, opportunities to participate in medical research with the DOD and foreign governments. I'm trying to shadow at the local Navy hospital and my pre-med advisor is helping me get in contact with a recruiter. Does anyone have suggestions as to how I can learn what the day in the life of a military doctor is like? What is the work-life balance like or the possibility of having a family? I'm a woman and would one day want kids. I'll be in my 30s when I finish residency. Are there more opportunities to get involved with research? What are the possibilities of getting into pediatrics or a peds specialty like pediatric neurology offered through military residencies? I know my interests might change in med school, but from the shadowing I have done, something with peds or adolescence is interesting to me, and I don't want to close that door. USPHS, the Public Health Service, how is this different from HPSP and what are the requirements, processes involved? Is this only for primary care? Clinical experience, are there clinical experiences paid because I need to put food on the table, opportunities as a pre-med that might be able to give me more insight to military medicine or public health service? All right, so lots of great questions there. Let's start off with HPSP, Health Professions Scholarship Program. This is the scholarship program that I used to go through medical school. When I got my acceptance, I went to the Air Force. I said, hey, I got into med school. Will you pay for me? And I signed up for the scholarship and was awarded the scholarship and did my time afterwards. And so I'm a huge advocate, uh, evangelist for HPSP, as long as you know what those risks and benefits are. Obviously, the risks are 
you are owned by the military and they may not want you to do the specialty that you want to do. They're never going to force you to do a specialty outside of what you want to do, but they'll tell you maybe no to the specialty that you want to do. And in that case, you'll have to be a general medical officer. You'll do your internship year and you'll go be a a brigade surgeon, a flight surgeon, a, a GMO family practice doc, whatever that may be, depending on the branch that you are involved in. So HPSP has a lot of risks. It has obviously a lot of upside. You graduate medical school with basically no debt. That's pretty awesome, right? The the average debt last time I looked was about $170,000. And so to come out without any debt, I'll take it. Not bad. But you shouldn't want to do it for the money. And I like how this student said HPSP, the, the few reasons that interested her, none of them had anything to do with money. So that's awesome. So let's get to some of the questions. Uh, So shadowing, right? How to get involved in shadowing. Shadowing in the military is going to be a lot harder. Not only are you dealing with HIPAA, you're dealing with military. And so being involved, getting on base, getting clearances to be on base and to be in a clinic, it's going to be a lot, lot harder than a normal shadowing gig with a civilian physician. And so how do you figure out if you want to be involved? Well, the best thing is probably just to reach out to the different clinics in your area, maybe try to find a physician who's willing to talk to you after hours, um, off-duty hours when they're not in the hospital, not in the clinic, and really just talk to you about what life is like because it's going to be pretty hard to shadow in a military setting. And that's just... The, the name of the game. Military is, is very uh, protective of their bases and people who have access to their bases, rightfully so. So it's going to be hard to shadow. What is day in the life of a military doctor? It's basically, right, having been one before for five years, it's basically the same as any other physician. You're there, you're treating patients, that's your job day in and day out. And so your job is to to go and treat patients. That's it. That's all. There are other duties that a lot of military physicians have. When I was a flight surgeon, my last duty station, I was the flight surgeon, the only flight surgeon on the base. I was also the public health emergency officer. I was also what's known as the chief of aerospace medicine and in charge of public health and and uh, bioenvironmental engineering. And so I had I had a lot of different things that I was juggling all while seeing patients as well. And it was awesome. I loved that sort of variety. So so a lot of the day-to-day life is just a lot of the primary care docs, they're just treating patients day in, day out, just like a quote-unquote civilian, normal physician would do. Work-life balance. The military is actually pretty good with work-life balance because when you're on duty, you're on duty. When you're not on duty, you're typically okay depending on uh, where you're at and what your duty station is like. Are you in a, a hospital setting? Are you in an outpatient clinic? If you're in interested in peds, you'll likely be in an outpatient setting. And so you'll see your clinic patients during the day and then you'll have the rest of the day off, just like a normal office environment. Obviously, being in the military, there there's the opportunity to be deployed. There's the opportunity to uh, to, to be called in for whatever reasons. So you always have to balance those, uh, needs 
of the military will always come before your your personal life. And if you have kids and if you are in the military, you're going to need to have a plan for childcare. If you get deployed, who's going to take care of the kids? What is that going to look like? There are lots of of issues there having kids and being deployed. Are you going to be okay being away from your kids for four months, for six months, whatever it may be? There are lots of issues there. Uh, when you have, as a woman, when you have a baby, you're restricted from deployment for a while so that you can breastfeed and and raise the baby for a little while before they ship you off. But uh, once that time comes, then it's time to to be deployed or potentially be deployed. What are the chances of getting into pediatrics? Well, pediatrics is a is a primary care specialty, so it's a little bit easier. But remember that as a military physician, your job typically is to take care of military members. And there are bases that have pediatrics because taking care of military families involves taking care of the spouses of military members, sometimes uh, parents of military members, depending on if they're dependents or not. A lot of bases will treat retired or uh, other uh, people who aren't in the military anymore but still have access to get healthcare through the military. And that, yes, it involves taking care of the kids as well. So pediatrics, while it's uh, a lot of bases will take care of kids, there's not a huge need for it. And so there aren't a ton of pediatricians at every base because your main patient population that the military military takes care of are the actual war fighters themselves and not the kids and their family members. So um, there are some uh, some question marks as to what the needs of pediatrics are. Is it relatively easy to get? Depends year to year on what their numbers look like, but it's typically an easier one because it is primary care. Now, when you're starting to get into the subspecialties of pediatrics, that's where you're probably going to run into an issue, right? The military's needs are to take care of military members. And so when you get into super specific specialties like pediatric neurology, a lot of times those patients will be uh, sent out to the community, to civilian physicians, to civilian hospitals and clinics to see those specialists. And so if you're interested and you have an inkling that you may be interested in getting very subspecialized, the military may not be the best for you, even as an adult physician as well. Because a lot of those really nitty gritty specialties, there's only a few places in the military where they may have one of those physicians, right? You think of the big, big medical centers like in San Antonio or Walter Reed out in DC, there are going to be a few of those places that may have these specialties. But outside of that, it's a lot of general family practice, a lot of general orthopedics and maybe some cardiology in there and pulmonology and whatever else. But those big specialties, those subspecialties of those practices at most places are going to be shipped out to the community physicians, to the community specialists, because the military just doesn't need 
a lot of those subspecialties because that's not their main priority. And so if you know that you want to be super specialized, I would maybe look at not joining the military because you may be limited. So how does the public health service differ from HPSP? I actually don't know. I don't know a lot of the the differences between public health service versus HPSP. I think that you can join public health service through USIS, I think, through the military medical school. I think they do have public health service uh, students there as well who are going into public health service afterwards. I, I think it is mostly primary care where you're dealing with public health service as well. Uh, but I, I don't know a lot of the specifics of the public health service. Maybe it's something I should look into because there are physicians in the public health service. So last question here, paid clinical experience. The, the student needs to put food on the table, put a roof over her head so, uh, and, and um, sustain living while she's going through this pre-med process and is looking for paid jobs. And so there are paid jobs most of the jobs typically aren't paid very well. You can look at becoming an EMT and working as an EMT, working as a scribe. Um, I was talking to a student recently at a conference who said that she was a scribe at a hospital, not, or through a hospital, not through a scribe company like Scribe America or, or any of the other companies. And they paid almost twice as much, including benefits. And so maybe look around at the hospitals and not at the scribe companies that you're at, and you may get a better deal um, financially going directly through and to the hospital. They may not have that set up, and they may use a a third-party service like Scribe America, but it's something maybe that you can inquire about. Uh, There are other things, maybe like working as a medical assistant, a lot of those, like being an EMT, though, you need training, you need a certification, becoming a phlebotomist, another one where you can get paid. But again, you need to be certified to do phlebotomy. And so that's probably where the majority of the paid clinical experience will come from. Phlebotomy, EMT, and scribing a medical assistant would be a fourth one potentially there. So that is what I have for you today. Hopefully that was helpful for you. A lot of good questions about the military, clinical experience and public health service. If you want a question answered here on the old pre-meds podcast, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash forms and find the non-traditional pre-med form where I take questions. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the old pre-meds podcast. 